Welcome back, pod people, to the final true crime episode this month. We are talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm your host, Justin Morgan, and I'm here with Jeff. Charles. How you doing? Good. Good. We got our first 2023 movie in. Yeah, barely making it in time for home release to watch it. Came out, what, uh, on the 12th, so, yeah, one week ago. Just barely sneaking it in there. They haven't announced the Academy Award nominations. I'm sure it'll be nominated, but I at least got that one in. Right. Theatrically released in October, and I know it's Apple, so they said it'll be an Apple TV early 2024. So I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it for true crime. <laughs> and then I started to sweat it. I didn't know if it was actually going to make it or, or not, and it did. It had been chosen for this month and came out whenever we released our Zodiac episode. By the time this comes out, though, they will have Academy Award nominations, and I'm sure it will be there. I definitely preferred watching it at home. I'm sure it was great on the big screen, but there were a few times where I thought, ah, let me pause this and get something to drink. Oh my god, there's still two and a half hours left of this movie. How? <laughs> then pause it later. I gotta go to the restroom. Oh my god, there's still an hour and a half left of this movie. How? When I saw it, I didn't have to get up. I didn't see a lot of people getting up during the movie either to go to the bathroom or anything. Because there's not a good place. I've seen people talking about when they keep releasing films like this and uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon that's already long and then he wants to release the even longer version that's like a miniseries. And they mention if you're going to release films as long, you need to bring back the intermission. Some theaters added an intermission to this movie. I think there were lawsuits against the theaters for doing it. Uh, yeah. You don't add an intermission to our movie. Not that I feel like I can't watch something in one sitting, but it's, it's just literally not good for your body to, sit, to just sit in the middle of the day for like four straight hours in the dark doing nothing else. Even if it's, you know, you don't have to go to the bathroom or you're not hungry, like, you should just stand up for five or ten minutes. Yeah, it's just too long. I, I think the last one I can remember having one was Hateful Eight. That's the last time I can remember. And that movie's not even that long and it still had an intermission. Hateful Eight, and I believe when I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey, they kept it. Uh, yeah, I figured they... Again, it's probably almost the same of they'd probably have people complaining if they edited things or took it out or something like that but there's a real person that respects the tradition of the theater tarantino he's like no oh, man it's it's a long movie you should you should get up in the middle and you know we'll just play some music in the background three and a half hour movie and a half hour of trailers and shit before that exactly that's almost the problem that's worse for it is you know there's just extra things that you're gonna get stuck through on top of it it'd be one thing if they it almost feels like if a movie's over two and a half hours long there almost should be like a rule that like you can't show trailers just just play the movie at the time that it says people for people to show up i have run into them playing movies early and last year i think they happened for some reason with when i saw the little mermaid yeah i don't know what the hell the reason was <laughs> and then when i saw the boy and the heron and i saw godzilla minus one they were only 10 minutes of trailers yeah that's how it should be yeah so fucking ridiculous and then now the marketing is so weird for 2024 because of the strikes they didn't make as many movies as they would normally make in a year and i'm already seeing that trailer for argyle like five billion times yeah, it's like they're really it's insane i'm sure it's fine and i'm i'll probably watch it but yeah that's like they're really like yeah come on you you gotta you gotta see this movie man for the love of god you've gotta go see this movie we need people to go to the theaters and see this movie even as of right now of our recording, I saw Night Swim, which is the swimming pool horror movie, and it was terrible. And then I saw Mean Girls, which, I don't know, it's hard for me to like musicals. That was the biggest thing to overcome was the musical aspect of it. At least you knew. I don't know if you've seen the a video of people in the theater as the as the movie starts when the when one of the characters starts singing and you just audibly hear people go, oh, like because they, they didn't know it was a musical. I did see that clip, but it doesn't make sense to me because by that point, that's probably like 15 minutes, 20 minutes into the movie, and yeah. they've already sang numerous times, so I don't understand the groan. I don't know. Did they think that the singing was going to stop? Yeah, that's, that's the only thing I could think, is that they thought like maybe it was just like the opening section of the film had music in it that it wasn't, that it wasn't full on for the entire film. Yeah, it already had musical numbers where they broke out in the song and stuff. Yeah. The best part of that movie is Tina Fey starts to sing and then she clears her throat and she goes, I, I don't know what that was. And she just <laughs> continues to talk normally. This film is Scorsese's second longest film. Not by very much, only by four minutes from The Irishman, but 
The Irishman and and this movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, are the two movies where like Scorsese can do whatever the fuck he wants. Apparently, runtime's not. No one cares when yeah. he's working for these I, streaming services. Yeah, because because at some point they yeah they're not concerned about once it gets put on Netflix, they know people will sit down and watch the whole thing. I don't think we ever talked about The Irishman on our podcast, but I thought that was a good movie minus... I just don't buy the people being young. Like, young Robert De Niro is still walking around and moving like an old man. Yeah, the de-aging just wasn't... I don't even know how old he is now, but even in this movie, I think Robert De Niro is always sitting. (laughs) There's a lot of of sitting (laughs) shots, yeah. You don't want to sit for four hours, but I'm pretty sure Robert Robert De Niro Niro sitting for most of that movie. Yeah. You do see him moving around, but I think 90% of the time he's in a chair already. That, yeah, it definitely feels like every time they got on set, <laughs> you know, Scorsese, hey, you want to, like, move over here? Ah, Marty, I got this idea. What if I just sat in the chair and they had to come to me? Because they're just so powerful. Yeah. How about you are in this car and you drive to them? All right, All right. I'll do that. That's sitting yeah. account. <laughs> now get in the car with Sturgill Simpson. Again, you can just sit there. All right. Walk up to Leo. No, Leo, walk up to you in the car. Have you seen Oppenheimer yet? I have not yet. Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon are the two movies where all the small roles are played by such big parts, even if they have, like, a single line of dialogue. Academy Award winner, they're making fun of uh, Rami Malek. <laughs> like, he shows up, he says one line, and he leaves in Oppenheimer. That's what this felt like. Felt like a lot of uh, pointing. And some of these people, I don't even know the actors' names. The guy that played Byron, the brother of Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I just recognize him from The Last of Us. He played David. Yeah, and the the guy that's Shelby is on yeah. he was from boardwalk empire and uh, i can't think of what else he's been in but i know I've, it, again he's like one of those guys that you just recognize him because you're like yeah, yeah yeah, i've seen him and stuff and then yeah the the random musicians that played uh three of the characters sturgill simpson jason isbell and pete yorn and they're all just random guys in this movie and jack white yeah yeah jack, yeah <laughs> I'm, i still have a process jack white being in the finale of this film yeah, when I saw it, I knew he was in the movie, but the movie is so long that you forget who's supposed to be in this movie. So when they pop up, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, I watched this movie twice, both times that John Lithgow showed up. I'm like, oh, yeah. You totally that, yeah. forget he's in the movie. I was, I was not ready for John Lithgow to show up. I knew Brendan Fraser was in the movie because I know people were making a big deal about, like, there were people that didn't like that. I think they just didn't like that he was playing a bad guy in the film. Like, everyone wants the, because he's, he's like, had this comeback of appearing in films that people were like, the Brennisons, yeah. Yeah, and people were mad that he was playing, like, this uh, kind of racist, like, bad, bad guy. And, like, he's a really over-the-top, like, southern lawyer. And, they, like, people didn't like that he was playing that character. So I knew he was in it, but, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize John Lithgow was going to be in it. Brendan Fraser is one of the most out-there characters in this. He is probably the most unreasonable character. He's just a 10 for, like, no reason at all. <laughs> he's just a simple southern lawyer. But then you had, uh, when you have Jack White at the end, that's even funny. He looks weird. Is that Jack White? Like, <laughs> he looks so fucking weird. But then he doesn't look weird at all. He looks exactly what you... He looks like, hey, he looks like Jack, Jack White. White. Jack White just always looks weird. He had the Clark Kent thing going on. They put glasses on him. Like, who is that guy? They, they made him dye his blue hair. He couldn't keep that for his, like, 1950s <laughs> radio appearance. All that weird shit they were doing feels like... At the end of the movie when they're doing this radio broadcast, of uh, Steph essentially said it was like Dateline for uh, the radio. Pretty much. All that weird stuff, like the sound effects, like the folly artists that they had on site or whatever, made me think of a thing that Jack White himself would just love doing. Yes. They probably shot it in his house or something. (laughs) Like, that's probably Jack White's house. That's how they got him there. (laughs) Do you want this role? What is it? Here, read the script. And he's like, hell yeah. (laughs) I read the book last year. I believe the author's David Gran. But honestly, with how much information is in that fucking book and adapting his screenplay, I just totally get why it probably took eight years to make this movie. Scorsese gets a lot of projects thrown at him at once. They always seem to include Leonardo DiCaprio, but they were at one point said they were going to do The Devil in the White City, and it took too long and it fell apart. And Killers of the Flower Moon took a while too, but it stayed on track for the most part. And I think that's because Scorsese's getting towards the end of life, and Scorsese knows that he's at the end of life, and he wants to tell stories that he thinks are important. So he found this story to be a lot more important than Devil in the White City. 
Yeah. Which Devil in the White City is an interesting story, but how many serial killers and shit do we go over? And the World's Fair stuff's interesting. But he was one of the earliest. That's historically <laughs> interesting. Uh, well, yeah, that's true too. Uh, yeah, his last few movies have all been based on. I mean, they all, they all are true crime at this point, pretty much. <laughs> From this, The Irishman, Silence. Wolf of Wall Street, like, yeah, all of his most recent films, a lot of his films are already based on real stories, like, Bob, more of them than, than you would even think. Once I start thinking back more, I'm like, and he does do a lot of ones that are that are real characters, because Casino is, Goodfellas is, Gangs of New York is based on real people. Departed to an extent. Yeah, 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 Departed, because it's based off of Whitey Bulgers. The Aviator straight-up biopic. Yeah, it's like, it gets more and more, I'm like... Like, Gangs yeah, of New of, York is based on truth too. Most, yeah, most of his, uh, more of his movies than I was even thinking. I was like, yeah, they are all kind of. <laughs> he does do a lot of true stories. I think some of those things he takes a lot of liberties with, but things like this, he tried I mean, to be you, as accurate as he possibly can. If you ask a lot of people, the Last Temptation of Christ is based on a real guy. <laughs> He's doing another one, The Life of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. What she said is it's like an 80-minute script that basically is goes over the teachings of Jesus and how we don't follow it, follow anything that he says. Everybody wants to focus on his birth and his death, but nobody wants to focus on his teachings. <laughs> He's going to go in Christ the middle. He's going for that midlife that no one ever cares about. I definitely recommend still reading the book. The biggest difference is, besides the fact that there's obviously a lot more information in the book, a lot more about the FBI agent. Well, they're not the FBI yet. They're just Bureau the of Investigation. Yeah, they go over a lot more of that. And the book actually is told more like a mystery. You don't know who's doing the killings until uh, he starts investigating, getting all the information and stuff. And then in the movie, you absolutely know who the bad people are <laughs> within 10 minutes of the, of the story. I don't know, though, if... Scorsese chose to follow these people because he felt that he shouldn't be doing a Native American movie. Like, he's not the voice of Native Americans, so that's why he chose to follow the white guys. Yeah, I, I kind of had that same thought of that that's almost how it would be viewed. Like, if he tried to just do the whole thing from the point of view of the Native Americans, they'd be like, oh, you're not, you're not really one of us, so you're not telling the story right. And I also do think part of it is, and I know that's like, I think, almost one of the only criticisms that this movie's gotten is that is that a lot of people feel that it focuses too much on Leonardo DiCaprio and um, Robert De Niro's characters instead of uh, the Native American characters but I think part of that was just like a selling point of how do you get money for this three and a half hour movie that's not like a big action-packed film that's not gonna do hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office like how do you get financing for it you gotta put Leonardo DiCaprio as like your main character just to even sell the movie to people and originally he was the FBI agent and yeah, the Jesse Plemons character Jesse Plemons they swapped roles so which yeah that's very interesting well I guess they have a couple scenes together but that first scene whenever he shows up and he's like I'm investigating a murder <laughs> he's like why what are you hoping to find he's like uh the killer yeah <laughs> you know? who's doing it <laughs> we're hope look up and try to discover who's doing it <laughs> honestly everything in this movie is transpired from the book which is all historic information I mean I'm sure that they took some liberties per se because you know, sometimes the book would be real simple and say, oh, you know, they hired this person to do this thing and not really get into details to show, like, how it was done. The important stuff does transpire where, you know, they're setting up these murders. They're pretty much, who's the smartest guy, Robert De Niro? He's smart. He knows money will protect him. He's got that power. But then you have Leonardo DiCaprio, who's just... An idiot. I don't know. One of his dumbest roles, probably. Like, dumbest characters. I really enjoyed any of the scenes, because they always had to have him be a middleman, because they they never wanted to have anybody be able to claim, like, oh, I spoke directly to Robert De Niro's character, uh, Hale, and he told me he wanted me to kill these people. So it always had to go through Leonardo DiCaprio, and he's, like, always trying to make these weird, like, side deals. Like, hey, man what if I gave you my car and I'll just get some insurance money that immediately that he blows took up my in his Buick face. Roadster. Yeah. That immediately blows up in his face. Cause he's always trying to make these like extra side deals and say things that he wasn't told previously and just kind of makes them up himself. The story of it is all completely fucked up. We took the Osage's land. 
and we moved them into like this very rocky territory and they found oil so they became super rich all these people started coming there to basically cut deals and start making money off of their oil but they were highly rich to the point that like yeah people were being like chauffeured and all that stuff people started marrying them for the inheritance And I think that somewhere around 120, if not more, Osage were killed for their land, for their oil. It just went largely uninvestigated for how long? It was very much viewed as like, eh, it's just another dead Native American. The first scene where they keep showing them all dead, just like laying in the bed and they're like, not investigated, not investigated, not investigated. And then they get the woman who gets shot in the head and they're like, suicide. Yeah. There's a lot of funny in this movie, too, which I was surprising that he got the humor in there. I love that one character that he keeps involving to, like, the one guy that ended up killing the one Native American, but he didn't follow the rules at all, where he Uh, was supposed to make it look like a suicide, but he shot him in the back of the head and he took the gun. (laughs) He's like, I told him the front of the head. That guy, he shows up three times, and every time he's there is fucking hilarious. Like, when they go to arrest him, they have him in the interrogation room, and he's like, I don't know anything about it. And they're like, well, this guy says you do. And it's Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhart that walks in, and he's like, God. (laughs) All right, well, you better get me a pencil, because I have a lot to write now. I got a lot to tell you. Uh, Yeah, their plans are all very odd. They're varied. They go from some of these guys they just flat out shoot and don't even a lot of times they don't even bother even really make it look like it's anything other than than murder and then it seems like for a lot of them they were just i don't know they never do say what they were poisoning them with i didn't know if it was like morphine or something that they were putting into their into their stuff or something or like slipping it into their food or alcohol or something like that but that's how they seem to kill most of them and everyone just keeps saying i can't remember what it is there's a lot of them that were getting poisoned and they kept calling it what yeah wasting the wasting the old disease. time old timey you know oregon trail they got the wasting disease what's that mean i don't know it just means they're dying yeah we don't have any of that newfangled technology to tell you that kind of stuff we just know they're dying they did have the new technology of insulin <laughs> yeah that only five people in the world have insulin and mr hale got that for you his backroom dealings how do you like that uh, you, you call me uncle or you can call me king? Did that connect to the Foxcatcher for you a little bit? With... <laughs> yeah, eagle. <laughs> yeah. Although they do call him king a hell of a lot in a this. Lot, They're like, yeah. everyone's calling him king. They do. They do make that connection. But yeah, it was, it, yeah, back to back watching those movies is, you know, having that exact same thing of people that really know me call me king. It's like, really? <laughs> okay. Again, and we do kind of have a trifecta of protagonist but do we have Robert De Niro like we do have Robert De Niro by himself a few times yeah it's mainly Leonardo DiCaprio or Lily Gladstone yeah she has some voiceover I love the voiceover from Leonardo DiCaprio where he like there's that scene where he says where they ask him if he can read and he's like "Of, of course I can read and he ends up reading the history of the Osage and he's reading it as if like and it's a narration it's a voiceover over the film yeah and he's like barely able to to yeah. give us the information on the Osage they left Missouri yeah he's like he's like struggling with some words like he's barely literate yeah he's a, he's a, he's such a weird character and uh, yeah there's there's so many odd little moments like when he first comes back and Hale tells him uh you you were a war hero right he's like uh, it was mostly uh, cooking food. He's like, wow, <laughs> they wouldn't have won the war if they weren't eating, would they? Like, like really hyping him up. He's like, yeah, I guess you're right. They wouldn't have won the war if I wasn't cooking all the time. He seems very easy to convince. He's he is that he's a dumb person that uh, is yeah. able to be manipulated, and he gets manipulated a lot. Which, which, uh, like you said earlier, is fun. It's kind of fun to watch because. I, like, I can't think of another movie where Leonardo DiCaprio plays, uh, like, a dumb character. He's almost always, every role he plays is, like, the smartest man in the room. Uh, like, other than, I don't know, you could say, like, maybe Gangs of New York, he's, like, kind of very naive in that movie, but he's not stupid. What about uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? I mean, come on, he's not He's not dumb, he's just got some problems. <laughs> you know... He's just climbing the telephone poles. He's on a shit. different spectrum. Yeah, he's just on a he's just on a spectrum in that movie. He's not stupid. But, he uh, actually really isn't 
stupid. It, yeah. The uh, but yeah, that's it. Again, this is that's like not a not a character that you get to see him play ever. Is like this character that's just constantly getting tricked, lied to, uh, pushed around. Like he's he just never he never seems to be the person in charge of any scene that he's in. He's always getting he's always getting bossed around by somebody or or uh, told what to do and and then. That's... Or even when he should be in control of the situation. Like when he's talking to Blackie. Yeah. And he's like, I need you to do this. And he's like, well, Blackie's like, well, why would I do that? You didn't even follow through the last time. I did fucking time. Every time you tell me to do something, it, I get fucked over. Why would I do another thing for you? <laughs> I like that scene, too, whenever um, they're getting on to them about the insurance. And everybody's, like, on their, like, third or fourth wife. And that one guy's like, he's like, Okay, so the kids are now mine. Can I insure them? And they're like, <laughs> and then kill them. Are you, are you telling their, me that you rights? want to ins- you want insure your kids' life so you can yeah. then kill them and get the claims? Like, well, like, not if it's illegal, because I'm not gonna do it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's 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 almost no like the people flat out almost freely admit that that's what they're doing, and yeah, the. Uh, the Bill Smith character who moves on from one sister to the next one pretty quickly, uh, seemingly. I do like that scene too, obvious. where they're talking and he's like, "I just don't like you. Yeah. I don't like anything about you, Bill." All the, yeah, all of their scenes are so so weird together. Like the first one when he introduces himself, like they're just sitting in the middle of church and he just turns around. And he's like, "Hey, I'm Bill." And he's like, uh, uh, "Okay," <laughs> he's just like, like, "That's it." He's just done talking to him. And then yeah, when they have that, uh, they have their other awkward scene when he he tells uh, he tells Ernest to leave the funeral. He's like, well, "Why?" And he's like, "I just think the way things are going, you should leave." Mm-hmm. They're all that. You yeah. should be outside. All their scenes are so weird together. Like they have such an awkward uh, they have such an awkward time uh, anytime they're together. So well, we had to believe that he would want to blow him up. Uh, yeah, blows the whole house up. I knew that's what it was going to be. When they they start talking about killing off the this would be the third sister the first one died of the the wasting disease and then uh, they murdered the second one and then the mo- the mother died so it's just down to the two sisters and Ernest is married to the one and Bill's married to the other and they're like where's that uh you need something real sure something like a bomb just just really just just blow the whole house up and then there's nothing left and they uh, when they cut the they just do that real quick cut of yeah, what's that guy up to? And he's blowing up the safe in a bank. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I know he's gonna set off that bomb, and it's gonna be way too big, and it's gonna, it's gonna like destroy everything, where it was probably just supposed to look like it might have been like, I don't know, like a boiler exploded or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, they do see they talk out in public a lot. Like they're not afraid to be heard. I think they're just that bold. But there's that scene where they're driving up to the exploded house like the next day. And the guy's like, too much dynamite. Yeah. We, we used way too much dynamite. Yeah, yeah, you used way too much. Uh, it's not the sheriff. I think it's the undertaker or whatever tells uh, Hale. He's like, you're making yourself a little too uh, a little too prominent now. Like, you're you're getting a little too a little too bold with these killings. Like, like blowing up an entire house. Uh, and I, yeah. And I do love how he, uh, how he gets rid of all the loose ends. Which, like, some of them are only implied. Like, I know the uh, Sturgill Simpson's character that's the the former bull rider. Because uh, I, I kind of read a little bit. I didn't read the book, but I read some of the, like, actual background. And I know his thing was just that his car flipped over or something on the road. But that, but everyone says, like, they think someone cut his brakes or something. So they think it was, yeah. it was Hale or Hale had somebody cut his brakes on his car so that he would crash it. Uh but then the way he like sets everyone else up, like, "Hey, you uh, you might want to lay low." And then he gives them the name of that bank, like, "There's uh, there's real good stuff uh, if you lay low here." And then he Im- immediately gets arrested. And then when he tells the uh, tells the shop owner, like, "I heard uh, I heard reports that the, somebody might break into your shop tonight. You might wanna might wanna look into that." Yeah, and then totally sets up the people. Uh, yeah, and then there's a few times where he like. I'll be like, you might want to get out of town, but then I would look guilty. And he's like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might, but you might want to leave. He's like, they're going to arrest you anyways. You might as well just leave. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to look guilty either way. So you might as well, might as well look guilty and be out of town. 
Yeah, he's very, he's a very, he's like I, th- I think it's one of his, one of uh, his best performances too. Like I, said, I think everyone in this movie is, is good. Uh, he's not really stretching himself. He's kind of playing a character that he's played numerous times as the, the mob boss type character, but just a, like a little bit different. Yeah, the the southern mob boss. He's usually playing the the New York City. Uh, mob boss or maybe maybe somewhere out in in vegas for casino but you know now, now he's also playing they're the, finally got his two muses together leo and robert de niro bobby oh, yeah. and leo they're finally together i mean they did that commercial prior to this they were time. only in a commercial that he he edit he uh shot yeah he's getting to the point where like leo's been in all these movies and he's like i don't know it's starting to look like leo might be in more scorsese movies than me yeah well he probably is both now. in them I feel like he's got to be close, or or maybe he's only like it might be the exact same, because I know this would make what uh, ten movies, because I think I think The Irishman would have been nine for Robert De Niro, so I think this is ten for him, and yeah, uh, DiCaprio's got to be close there. Yeah, I mean, every once in a while he'll do something like Silence, where there's not any of his normal people in there, but. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah, it is weird. Yeah, because he used Leonardo DiCaprio for so many years, and then he does The Irishman and has no role whatsoever for Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, in that huge movie where it like felt like he could have been something in there. That's only like that's another movie too where they put all that money into de aging them, and the deep fakes would have looked so much better. Just get somebody that looks like them, and yeah, yeah, that. Like, or like just said, have somebody that, is... that didn't look like them. We just know that they're the younger version of them. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Do the, do the old, old-fashioned technology of hire a guy that kind of vaguely looks like him and say, "Yep, that was him when he was 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, don't. You're you're really overthinking things now. When you yeah, you start to get a little too much into the technology and trying to do trying to do too much when the old methods work just fine. So this is definitely a crime. There's a lot of crime happening in this movie. Everything in this organized crime. crime. Basically, I guess it's organized crime by like the smallest definition of organization. Yeah. But he's not a gangster movie. So here's another Scorsese movie that's not a gangster movie. I would say more movies are not gangster from Scorsese than there are that are. At this point, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't done well. I was about to say he hasn't done a gangster movie in a while, but I guess yeah, the Irishman was last time, so it's, it hasn't been that long. But yeah, he doesn't he doesn't make him as often as people people try to say that that's all he does. Yeah, I mean, I I actually wouldn't be surprised if when we do get to the Academy Awards, I can see uh, Lily Gladstone winning an Academy Award. But I think it, it's also kind of sucks. It's like I don't think I've seen her in anything else ever. She's in Reservation she's, Dogs. Is she good in that? Yeah. She's not like a <laughs> she's not a main character. She's a, she's in like she's in like three or four episodes. She plays one of the characters' family members in prison that they visit every once in a while. So it's not a big sample size of she's she's only in a few episodes. But yeah, that's the only that's the only other thing I I know of her from uh, previous to this. So which I know I think she said she was planning on quitting acting before she got this role because she said she didn't seem like she could find any any roles yeah that's a shame that, well some of the best ones are like that that's how Christoph Waltz was where he was like I'm, I'm like 40 years old yeah. man I was, I was about to quit like I'm never getting hired for I anything I mean it'd be, it'd be good if like, this uh, this turns into like getting more roles for cause, I mean there are a lot of good Native American actors out there that are that pop up from time to time but you know kind of in the same way that there started to be a lot more like uh movies where they were putting asian actors in where people kept going oh no one will watch a movie with asian actors and then they're making like crazy rich asians and being like oh people will go watch movies it's like i don't think they ever said they wouldn't you just weren't you were just not making them purely by saying and eh, no or one they would make them movies. they do like the last samurai <laughs> You know, yeah, where it's about an American that goes over and becomes a samurai, but he still was a black person, so they still whitewashed the movie. Yeah, they, with they still had to they Tom still had Cruise. to change it even more. But uh, that's always like, yeah, or 
or something like uh, when Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out, like that movie, people went nuts over that movie when that came out, and I, that that felt like that clearly showed that if you if you made a quality movie that was directed by a Chinese director and had a Chinese cast, that people would go to watch a really good movie with an Asian cast, like and people loved that movie and it was it got nominated for all sorts of awards and I think it, did it win the Academy Award for foreign film that year? I think it got it nominated at least, but uh but like I yeah, it's the same way with any time they say like people don't watch female movies and then it's like they didn't watch that last one and everyone goes, "What last one?" It's like exactly. And it was like, "Did you even market it or try to try to get people to watch it?" And they're like, "We made the movie. That's the bare minimum we could do and nobody went to see it." So we're correct. So why these movies do so well, like Scorsese's movies, I mean, he's obviously has the status. He can get anything made that he wants to. I know, understand how he says he's running out of time. He only has X amount of projects that he can do, and that totally makes sense. But he's making movies that are important to him, and because they're important to him, they've been turning out pretty well. That's why it's he's, not like he's he's the exact answer to every time people keep asking Tarantino and he's like, uh, I just got to quit after my 10th movie. I just I can't keep making movies. And it's like he's like, I'll start making bad movies. And it's like Martin Scorsese's like <laughs> pushing, pushing into his 80s. And he's like, I need to make more movies in my life because I just have to tell people stories. I think he said Martin Scorsese said you when you find you finally kind of figure out how to to do what you want to do and your life's over like you've like he's like i'm at the point where like i'm very comfortable making movies and i know what i want and i'm learning all this stuff and i'm gonna die <laughs> like yeah. i'm just gonna die now like i just i have all this knowledge and i'm just gonna be dead yeah i yeah i mean it really feels like he's he's going to be like the guy that dies midway through his film being made and someone's going to have to complete it for him. They'll bring in Spielberg again. They'll he he'll just complete everybody's movies that they can't finish themselves. Well, you got to think about that uh Kubrick who you're talking about. He yeah. he died after he finished um Eyes Wide Shut. So he wasn't like in the middle of filming uh, something. Yeah. He was just pre-pro. He had the idea. Jumping around a little bit here. When you're talking about a long movie, even Cameron, when he was talking about how long Avatar was, he said, "Get up and pee." Like, I, like y- you'll see it. You'll see the movie again. <laughs> like, you'll, you'll, you're gonna be fine. Just get up and go. And I kind of agree with you. Where it's like, if it's over two and a half, if it's not a two and a half hour movie, if it's anything longer than that, like you should definitely throw in some sort of intermission or something in the in the middle of that movie. Like I saw the thing too, where they were where they were talking about uh, it was Tarantino's thing again too, where he said he t- he turned down a Star Trek movie that he wrote because he didn't want to um sorry he didn't want it to be his last movie and yeah. somebody was like that's a role that you made up yourself you, you <laughs> made up that role <laughs> yeah he doesn't want to do anything past sixty which he's sixty now and then you get Martin Scorsese who you're like right he's like eighty years old and and still making movies. Yeah. F- fuck. Um, Clint Eastwood's supposedly making his last movie, and he's like in his nineties. So, <laughs> he's he's retired from acting like four times, and been like, nah, I'm just gonna direct, and then randomly, nah, I'll act in this one. Like, <laughs> he looks like a skeleton. Like they look like they just dollied in a skeleton, and they're like, yeah. yep, that's that's Clint Eastwood. <laughs> they said he takes like one or two shots and moves on. That, yeah, I don't even know that I would say any of. Scorsese's movies are bad like that's even even when when someone like Tarantino talks about like oh you start dropping off I don't don't even know what I'd say is like his worst movie and even his worst movie is still not that bad in my opinion like maybe Cape Fear is a kind of weak one because it doesn't I don't think it stands up to the original yeah I'm not huge on Casino either because it just feels like Goodfellas 2.0 but even those movies like I, I they fall into that where I don't think they're his best but I'd still watch those over a lot of other people's, a lot of other films uh, out there. Or something. Like, I think the other one is, and it kind of the same way, Color of Money. And it's just because I don't think Color of Money is as good yeah. as The Hustler. But I still think it's a decent movie on its own. I just don't think it's uh, it's as good as the movie that it started from. But um, 
Which speaking of the color yeah, of money, yeah, you're right about that. It brings that. To, what if you made terrible movies? Who can, like? Yeah, you know, make whatever I, I think you about want. Woody Allen, and I think he was making a movie a year. He had a good one every like three years. Yeah, every once in a while, every once in a while, you'll have a good one. You might have some bad ones there, but. Uh, but who cares if you have the bad one? Like, who really honestly gives a shit if you have that bad... You're, you could possibly have that bad movie. People... There's people that hate Death Proof. They think it's the worst thing they've ever seen. So, by some people's opinions, you've already made a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or all those countless people that fucking hate his, uh, his violence. You know, Tarantino's violence. I love that clip when he's talking to that woman with a big hat on on the news and they're talking about <laughs> Kill Bill. And he's like is this a movie for for kids to see he's like if they have cool parents they have cool parents it is yeah <laughs> she's like you think a kid should see this he's like hell yeah <laughs> uh, but I, yeah i don't know i don't think that they should be afraid to continue on to make movies and you know maybe they fucking they're all gonna die you never know when they're gonna die but yeah. scorsese's another one where i just always look forward to what his next movie is everybody that we've covered for true crime so far david fincher bennett miller scorsese i'd be all interested in whatever the hell their next movie is yeah yeah that's even like even this no matter what the subject matter is like i like darren aronofsky and he said his next movie is an an, an elon musk movie i give a fuck about that but i'm sure it'll be interesting you know like the last thing I want to go see is some biopic about Musk, but you you have the right person making it. I guess I'm gonna go see it. We'll see. Who's playing him? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, there was I. I mean, I liked pretty much everything about this movie. I did. I really liked the the score. I know this was his last film with Robbie Robertson, who he's worked with a lot. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was really good. It really worked. It wasn't like it wasn't too too much like it didn't feel like a, a really like big over dramatic score it was a lot of like percussive stuff going on mm-hmm. using a lot of like drums and stuff native drums or every once in a while it kind of sounded like it had a kind of like a techno thing going on but real subtle yeah it's like an electronic type of soundtrack yeah that's probably another th- your best friend dot like everybody's up there Thelma Shoemaker who's edited all of his movies for like maybe minus the first couple I don't even know when she jumped but she's been working with him for like I, I think the 70s on it's for decades I do find his style interesting because he seems to like like you would think that this movie could be since it's a historical drama per se could be relatively boring and it's crazy how much energy he just kind of keeps inserting into it like there's that sh- long shot of DiCaprio on the witness stand and it's not moving off of him at all and he's going 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 talking 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 and they ask him to point out how and when they do the camera like whips around real quick just <laughs> show him for like one, one second looking pissed off and then <laughs> whips right back yeah. yeah he has fun with it and it's not like after uh after we discussed Foxcatcher last week I went I watched Cody that night and then having watched uh, all of his movies now the three Bennett Miller movies the whole trilogy you minus the documentary his style is like almost no style like this is a guy that just trusts in his cast they're almost like just and documentaries if, like he just puts the camera there and just lets them act yeah he and uh, I did find out too we talked about it on Foxcatcher so I think I should follow it up Bennett Miller went to school with Philip Seymour Hoffman. They are friends. They went to like grade school together or high school and I think NYU together. Even though it is like his first film, going to NYU is a pretty good place to go because you you know actors and everything. And when you were saying with Capote, you said, who's the, I can't remember the second person that was, I'm like, when I watched it, I'm like, the whole cast is huge. <laughs> like the whole cast, you know, every <laughs> side character in the movie. And then, like you said, they keep on with Moneyball and Foxcatcher. They keep putting on more. Why he's taking such a long break. I know he's on another documentary. Maybe it's just taking longer than he thought. Could Maybe be. it's like Capote right in his In Cold Blood. It just took a hell of a lot longer than he thought it was going to take. Yeah. 
took a while to get used to that Capote voice too. That Capote voice was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's how he re- originally I've, how he yeah, actually I've, sounded, I've but like, it was a bad voice. Yeah, I've seen like video clips of him on like TV shows and stuff at the time, and it's like he 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 gets the voice almost exactly, and it it is, uh, yeah, it's just a very strange voice. The uh, yeah, and I think this is a little bit different because we don't have a lot of recordings from these people and they bring up Tulsa again the Tulsa massacre it's brought up in like kind of like a news report thing yeah which I didn't even know about until I watched the Watchmen TV show and now everyone's telling us about it but this is another thing that just it did it kind of got swept under the radar because it wasn't necessarily hidden it's just they don't have that representation where like nobody gave a shit to tell the story or keep the story well known yeah the guy's research for the book was just going into libraries and reading shit like he had all the information that he needed he had the police reports and all the investigative notes from uh jesse plemons (laughs) (laughs) or or the, the guy that played him it's an interesting time too i think that it's kind of on the verge of modern civilization but it's just barely the old west you know like yeah. you, you still have a little bit of of both things going on there. Takes place also during the same time as There Will Be Blood, the early uh, 1900s. This actually might be a little bit later than that. I think we go to like 1927 or something with There Will Be Blood. Yeah. When I watched this movie, yeah, the length surprisingly didn't bother me at all. Like I never felt like I had to go. I was worried about the length because I don't want to miss anything when I'm going to the movies and I'm seeing it. And when it popped up on, it's on Apple TV, which I think we said, but maybe we just said it was streaming. And I watched it over two nights with Steph because, you know, she works all damn day and she's got to get up early in the morning. So we literally did just find the stopping point and then watch the second half of it the next day. I could have probably sat and watched the whole thing again, but that that didn't bother me. And there was somebody else that said, too, they're like, you'll bitch about a like a three hour movie. But if eight episodes, hour-long episodes of a television show drop, you'll sit watch them all in one sitting. But you are getting up and going to the bathroom. It's not like you're watching eight hours straight. Yeah. Also, like I, they they bring that up. Somebody else, like almost kind of like to counter that argument. Somebody, uh, uh, I can't remember who who wrote the article, like or what website it was on. But uh, they brought up uh, like Ridley Scott's thing where he was saying he wants to do his. Uh, release his version of Napoleon that's like a mini-series, and they were talking about some of these other extended cuts that almost kind of of different films, like the Snyder Cut, that try to present themselves as like, basically like that, like a mini-series version of a movie. But they always talk about how the pacing's not right, because if you're, if you're planning in advance to make something into, like, even a you know, six-episode limited yeah. series you would pace it so that there's naturally like you know at the end of every episode there's like a hook or kind of a uh cliffhanger that makes you want to go oh i gotta i gotta watch the next one or something like that to get you in they said like just arbitrarily saying yep that's where this episode ends and just cutting it off there it never feels the same because it doesn't feel there's no you didn't build that tension into the movie when you were making it you're just again you're just arbitrarily inserting a cut here and going yep that's where i'm saying that this episode's ending you would hope that it would be recut in a different way did you watch the hateful eights extended version on netflix no i didn't that was another one that was one they complained about too they they kind of said the same thing that they felt that it wasn't it didn't feel like the way that it would be intended to i guess i think that's probably true but it didn't bother me and it did end like kind of cliffhangery and some of that stuff i've also read that and I'm sorry that I keep bringing up Tarantino, but it's Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair that's one movie. It's recut in a way that they don't, like, withhold the information from you about, like, the baby and yeah. stuff like that. It's it's cut. It's, it's a slightly different... Like, he made it more of a cliffhanger splitting the movie in half than what the whole theatrical version would have been. Which, that's good if they do that, but I... I, I... I think that, yeah, they were just talking about, like, how there's a lot of them that just do it very lazy and just just say, like, oh, yeah, that's that's one episode and that's two episodes and that's three episodes. But 
they don't edit it in any way to make it feel like it's going. It's all, it's like the same just way. Just put as, the four hour cut up and let people stop yeah. when they want to go pee. Yeah, just put the yeah, just put the thing on streaming. Let people figure it There's out. There's that app too that tells you like when you can get up to yeah. go to the bathroom yeah, without missing anything. To, to go. And I'm like, that's kind of a shitty thing because who says that one scene's not important? Like, yeah. When would you get up during fo- Foxcatcher, which every three minutes is like completely new information? Yeah. Even this, like, the only thing with this is like, I think some of the runtime in Killers of the Flower Moon is just these long, comfortable kind of scenes. He does insert quicker scenes, but he's not afraid to just let stuff breathe where, like, people are having a natural conversation between themselves and other things that would be rushed. It probably was even a way longer cut than that, too. Because you always hear shit like, oh, the original cut of this movie was five hours. I'm like, yeah, that's the work print. (laughs) And a lot of shit's not gonna end up in that movie. Like, the intentions are that that shit's not going to end up in that movie. But then you see things like, did you see the new Exorcist movie? No, not the newest one, no. It's on Peacock. It's not long. <laughs> but it definitely feels like shit was lost or cut out. or it, it It's mind-boggling. It literally feels like scenes are missing from that movie. I know David Gordon Green's not on the next one, and they're, st- they're, like, they're looking for a director, so they're going to continue to tell more Exorcist stories. But I'm like, what the fuck happened? Like, there's got to be a direct... There has to be a cut that makes this movie make more sense. Because everyone's like, it's terrible. And I'm like, it is. It is terrible. Why is it this bad? Yeah. How do you think everything went for your... What? You'll never see it? You'll never see that director's cut. No, they're not going to have a director's cut. I guarantee it. Because isn't that... Was that Warner Brothers? Do they still... They still own the rights to that? I think it was them. They won't even release fully completed films to people, so you'll never get. <laughs> You're lucky. Everyone's lucky we got the Snyder cut that one time, and now that's the, now we'll never ever get. They're like, nope, you wasted it. That was your one. That's that thing with that David Ayer. Like he did uh, Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad, and he's bitch. He's like, he said he finally gave like, up. Somebody on told me that it, it was the greatest superhero movie that they've ever seen. Yeah, he said he. Finally and somebody's gave like, up yeah, my mom movie. saw my short film and said it was amazing too. You know. So for true crime, did you like the three movies that we ended up discussing? I mean, you chose two of them, yeah. so you hopefully liked the majority I, of them. I like some of them. Yeah, I mean, they were they were crimes, big and small. That's why that's that that at least at least I was glad that all three of the films dealt with dealt with crime in a different way and from different perspectives. I mean, you had from something like Zodiac that takes place over many years many decades basically by the end of the at the very end of the film getting all the way up into the 90s you had just an insane crime spree to something like Foxcatcher that it's just one crime and it's just one it's the crime is almost the smallest part of that movie it's just the one yeah it is one thing that happens but you know so much was built on the just the strangeness of the of that environment uh, and then getting to something like this that, uh, like you were saying, there's it ends with almost the first true crime TV show, which I guess was a real thing. I think they said that that there was some type of show that that the that they played on the radio, and that they basically did the. It was it almost seemed like it was more like an advertising tool for the FBI because it was that's how they got people to know, like they hype it up as like. These are from the case files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation to get people to know what that was. I really would want um, also I, I, Ernest I'm, I'm Burkhart say, to meet J. Edgar Hoover. Were you going to say the yeah. same thing? I had the same thought. I yeah. said, I wanted there to be, like, I I knew there wouldn't be, but I did want there to be someone that, that says, that tells, uh, tells Ernest Burkhart about, like, yeah, I'm here from J. Edgar Hoover and be like, I don't know about that fella or something like that. Like make some some reference to the fact that he played J. Edgar Hoover at one point in his career. Yeah, I did think yeah, I did think about that, that that would be actually kind of cool if they tied him back into J. Edgar Hoover. Tie tie yeah, tie everything back around. Make it make it a weird like uh, David Lynch thing where he's playing two roles that aren't related at all. <laughs> he's yeah, playing exactly. he's playing J. Edgar Hoover and Ernest Burkhart in the same film. When uh Molly goes to the 
DC to try to get people to investigate these murders, and you hear that voice to take the pictures, definitely Scorsese. Yeah. It's like, I'll get close together now. And they do the president, and they only show the president from the back of his head. That's the, just like the only person that they don't want to show you what yeah. they look like. They didn't want to... They didn't want to get a, a look like... Yeah, yeah, because so many people have been like, that doesn't look anything like Calvin Coolidge. I mean, some things are distracting. Like, last month I rewatched Watchmen, the movie, and that Richard Nixon is terrible. He's like, pretty, pretty bad Nixon, yeah. Just seems like a caricature. What was it? Frost Nixon? I thought that was a good Nixon, but yeah. sometimes it's just they're just too cartoony. Even if they do sound like them, they, I, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes I think you're better off just not replicating that, that person if you can help it, especially if it's somebody that everybody's so familiar with. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the big differences, too, is that, well, of the three, Foxcatcher took the most liberties. They blended it to the way that they wanted to make it yeah. work dramatically. And Zodiac and Killers of the Flower Moon were more accurate about, like, what was happening at, at all yeah, yeah. at all given times throughout the movie. They tried to really, yeah, tried to really nail down as 100% accurate to the date and time like all the exact details, you know. Sometimes yeah. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta take some liberty. Sometime you can't, you can't. I mean, there's some in. liberty because we don't know all these conversations that have been had. But you know what? I, what I'll say for Foxcatcher, the movie, the the theme was true crime, and the part where the crime happened was pretty much 100% exactly as it happened in real life. So there you <laughs> go. The crime was true. Maybe some of the events leading up to the crime weren't exactly the way that they happened, but the crime itself was true. That's all that matters. So I know we kind of started talking about the end because we're talking about the radio aspect. It's like Dateline. Uh, at the end of this movie, you end like the most dramatic scene, which is just Molly asking what was in that those shots. And he lies to her face and she just gets up and leaves which is, like, probably one of the best moments in the entire movie. Yeah. And then it cuts to, we've like, what, 1950s or something? I don't yeah. know when the radio broadcast is. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of funny. But then Scorsese comes out, and he reads the obituary for, for Molly. I think it kind of is way more impactful than, say, Boxcatcher that does the the you know, the little catch-ups. And actually, Foxcatcher wasn't that bad. Like, I've seen other movies where it's, like, paragraphs of what has happened after the movie. Yeah, 20 minutes and of reading. Yeah, I hate that. I feel like the movie should, for the most part, be done when you're done showing everything on the screen. Yeah. So I do like that it's interesting to be like, I want to talk about what happened to Molly, but instead of just, yeah, having people read a paragraph after a total visual medium... Yeah, I think that it's kind of cool to have him come out and and read it, and it feels more emotional having him read it. And I think that it, it stands out a hell of a lot stronger than most movies where they throw that shit up at the end. I mean, even Zodiac had it, too, you know? Yeah, I like that it kind of, like... I mean, it was definitely like a breaking the fourth wall type thing of just having, yeah, having the director flat out come, come onto the screen and and read read something I mean it felt film, like I mean, it but he he might not have been Martin Scorsese so. he was just he, yeah he's Martin Scorsese's grandfather <laughs> that's the thing where they should they should have had uh, Keith Morrison on there they should have hired him but yeah, to be one of the to, guys get him to come in but uh, yeah I, I really like the ending and it kind of was a good you know basically summing up yeah this like this woman died and then everyone pretty much like forgot about her for you know the past 70 years like nobody nobody thought of it anymore they kind of just swept it up under the rug like they said it doesn't mention any of the murders like she never because they were all yeah they were all still most of them were probably still filed under either not investigated at all or you know something else entirely suicide or something that they couldn't be tracked or they didn't want people looking into so yeah, I mean, I would I'd suggest obviously seeing this movie. I would suggest reading the book too if you're interested on in getting more details. Like, 
getting more information on the background of like Clemens character is really interesting where that guy comes from. He used to be like a a rodeo cowboy with his brothers and stuff and yeah, he said I think he said uh, he was they, a Texas they, Ranger before he was a he was and they said he's like one of the few people in uh J. Edgar Hoover's uh bureau that would wear the cowboy hat. It's like I think they would call him like Tex or some shit like that. He had like a nickname like that. Yeah, I mean just coming in and they did the same thing too where they had a bunch of people get in there early that were working with the Bureau of Investigation that were like hidden. Like that one Native American that shows up early on. I, I love when he shows up because he was that's that was such those scenes are all great when he just randomly shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to like learn about my family. But he's just always there in the background of like every every scene going forward, no matter who the characters are. He's just always kind of there in the background. And then when when they finally yeah, like reveal, yeah, like he's clearly a, together, an agent with a Native American background, uh, enough to kind of blend in, but not enough to blend in entirely because he he does stick out a little bit yeah. where he doesn't seem to know much about the culture yeah yeah I, I i really enjoyed those scenes uh i think another good moment too that they kind of they kind of almost want to i don't want to say like confuse you or like kind of throw you off is when molly says like she saw her mother in her dream and she said oh yeah beware of the man in the hat and then i think that's i think that's immediately before jesse plemons shows up and he's obviously wearing a big cowboy hat but it definitely was referencing the fact that the first time her mom saw Leonardo DiCaprio, he was wearing that big goofy cowboy hat that he never mm-hmm. he never wears it the rest of the movie. He only wears it in that one scene. Uh, but I thought it was like a great moment of throwing something like that in when 99% of the characters in the movie are wearing hats. It's it's almost kind of like it, when she first said it, I was like what the hell? She's like, the, the guy in the hat, they're all wearing hats. They all have hats on constantly. It's it's the 1920s. Like everyone's wearing. Oh, she thinks she'd call him like the coyote. They kept calling him the coyote. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like a very it's like a way more subtle thing to say, like, oh yeah, that's the guy you need to watch out for because that's her, that's her strongest memories. The first time he walked into their house, <laughs> like it was wearing that hat. Yeah. Uh, she has a wonderful death scene too. Like as she's dying, well, we see that she sees this owl, and she mentions that like you would see like animals like that as you that you wouldn't see if you weren't dying. But as you pollute the blood or something like that, as you as you whiten up our blood, that you're gonna see it less and less. But I do like that shot where she's surrounded by everybody, and she just snaps her eyes open, and there's just like it's just her and like three other Osage people that are all painted up and she just gets up and leaves with them and then it cuts back to her she had died it's super simplistic but I just I dug it I talk about style see Scorsese's he's like I can be nice I can be violent because he follows the bad guys around I don't think that he glorifies them he, he I don't think he ever glorifies his bad guys he always punishes them at the end of his fucking movies yeah even like I think probably the one that gets the most like to say like if you want to say like glamorized or something or people would say like oh yeah he made it look cool would be something like goodfellas but it's like nobody has a good ending in goodfellas like <laughs> most of them most of them die and then you're left with uh henry hill who has to go into witness protection because everybody hates him and would kill him instantly if he uh if he remotely showed up again like he has to he has to just end his entire life and just go live in the middle of nowhere and change his name and hide out because everyone hates him it's like yeah, he definitely doesn't, like, he shows that, oh, yeah, well, their lifestyle was cool at the time, and, you know, they had a lot of money, and they had a lot of fun, but, like, th- yeah, they always got their punishment. They never got away with their crimes. Or you get something like Wolf of Wall Street, where the punishment wasn't all that terrible, because yeah. of, it was a white-collar crime, yeah. and he went to a white-collar prison, and... But I think that was kind of the punchline of that, too, where, like, you know, sometimes people don't have to, don't really pay for yeah, their yeah. crimes at the end. Sometimes if you have enough money stored somewhere, you can you can get away with things. Yeah. I always see that shit, too, where it's like, this person ripped off, will say, like, $200 million, and then they'll have to pay a fine of, like, $1 million. And I'm like, yeah. they got that money for steal. Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Unless they blew it all, I guess, but... Yeah. Yeah, this uh, yeah, I kind of agree. Like I I again, I know people some people complain that it that it followed too much to to the Burkhart character uh instead of some of the others, but yeah, I never at any time thought that at any point that you were supposed to really feel bad for this guy or 
that he was trying to make him seem very sympathetic. Like, he was very clearly an idiot who... I guess that's... Maybe some people go, like, oh, well, they, they tried to present him as being, like, just dumb. And I was like, I mean, he was dumb, it seems like. So, I don't, I don't know that that was just... That very much seems to be maybe just how that guy was. And, yeah, you could say, like, a lot of the stuff he got taken advantage of, like, most of the stuff probably wasn't his idea to do. It all came from uh, from his uncle more more than anything else. But I don't think at any point in the movie it tries to make you think, like, that that guy's the hero or anything like that. No. He talks very positively about his uncle. Like, he keeps saying, he's a good man. It's like, he's not. Yeah. You just say he's a good man. Yeah. So as long as you can separate that as a viewer, you'll be golden. I thought that the movie overall was very respectful. I kind of like that. I, I mean, I, I don't know if they had gotten a director with Osage heritage to tell the story and tell the story from their point of view. Uh, that would probably be just an equally as good movie. But I think maybe Scorsese just didn't feel that he should be the one diving in too much into that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, Like, I always kind of go back to... Like, it's not something that gets done very often where you get somebody to do a movie uh, based on the exact same events from two different points of view. Like, I, the only time I can ever really think of that would be, like, Flags of Our Father and Letters from Iwo Jima. Like, that's the only time I can think of a, a director taking basically the exact same concept and telling it from one side's point of view and then making a film that's completely from the opposite point of view from the soldiers on the other side. And I think both of those movies are very good. And I think he did, I think... Yeah, that, I think or like, it would be kind of cool if you had a Japanese director doing the other side, you yeah, know? Yeah, I mean, they tried to do that. That's, like, it's kind of what they did with uh, Tora, Tora, Tora. It yeah. has, like, they split that up between different directors to do the different nationalities, but that might have just been, like... I think that was, like, an idea that was, like, too far ahead of its time for them to try to think of combining things like that. But, yeah, that would have been interesting to get someone, like, some Japanese director to to do that but i think i think Clint Eastwood did a good job of he didn't go into it i mean letters from iwo jima was even better than flags of yeah, her father i think it's the better of the two films i think they're both good but i think yeah i think he actually does better with that one so i think that's a good that's a good example of how that could have i get like kind of blown up in his face and been like seen as like a real big failure or like a stupid experiment and i think it worked really well yeah i mean and he's already up there too so and he did like Changeling the same year that he did Gran Torino so he had like two movies coming out he's done that like twice Yeah, they're like you're too old he's like fuck it I'll do two movies then if you think I'm too old <laughs> it's like you were saying yeah he, of course he can crank these movies out when he only does like one take and just goes yeah that's good Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like I'm not looks good to me not sitting around yeah that's I, th- I think it's what uh, I think Bradley Cooper said something about like working with him on American Sniper where that's what he said it was like they'd They'd literally just be sitting there. They'd film one take, and then you go, all right, let's wrap that up. And be like, can we do that again? And he's like, why? You want to waste everyone's time today? He's literally the exact opposite of Fincher. Like, Fincher's like, no, we have to yeah. do it perfect. And Clint Eastwood's like, do you want to just stand around all day and do this? No, let's let's wrap it up and go to the next shot. Oh, I think he said he does his rehearsals. So, like, by the time you're ready to shoot, it's like he's got what he wants. He works with the same people all the time, so yeah. they know what he wants. But... So I'm sure it'll be in the award season buzz, Killers of the Flower Moon, and you can see it on Apple TV now. It's available, which is actually kind of rare because by the time things are coming out for the Oscars, you can't fucking find them anywhere until after the Oscars. So this is one of the nice ones that you could watch beforehand if you'd really like to. Uh, True Crime was interesting. It was a good month. I loved all these movies. I guess, unfortunately, I haven't... I've seen all these movies before, too, so there wasn't any, like big surprises there but that's that's okay they were all good movies that we wanted to discuss for some time yeah and next week because it's a holiday we're gonna do a holiday movie uh, if we tell you what day of that holiday is it'll give away the movie <laughs> which really isn't a surprise but i just want to give you a heads up and be a little mysterious and then we'll move into our next genre which i'll tease elsewhere maybe i'll tease it at the end of the holiday one <laughs> That was fun. That was worth it. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to get into a lot of interesting movies, too. I mean, I knowing a huge chunk of stuff that we're already planned to discuss. There are a lot of things on the line that I have not seen before. So yeah, We'll get there. Well, that's what we do. We get there. We make goals, and we get there, Chuck. 
everybody that's listening thank you so much we appreciate it subscribe to the podcast that's the biggest thank you that we can get from you and we'll see you next week bye we are cinema demore follow us on facebook and twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, podbean spotify amazon music audible pandora alexa or iHeartRadio. it would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice we also appreciate feedback so rate us review us and let us know what you think and above all else thank you for listening